Good evening, and welcome to the Dreary Midnight Podcast. My name is Lisa, my pronouns are she, they, and tonight I am joined by my first ever co-host. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Devin, my pronouns are he, him, and what else? And uh, this is my wonderful partner. Yes, I am the wonderful partner. Yes, the mythical partner. Yes. I don't live in Canada, but I do exist. Unlike the creature we're talking about today. Uh, do you know what we're talking about tonight, Devin? Um, you kept mentioning cannibalism. <laughs> yes, um, because it's a spirit associated with cannibalism. Uh, tonight we're talking about the Wendigo. I do want to put in a content warning right up top, though. Uh, as alluded to, we are talking a lot about cannibalism, which involves death and murder. Um, there's also a brief mention of uh, disordered and restricted eating when we're talking about the earlier earlier European stories. So heads up for that if uh, that's not something that you're in the headspace for. And if it's just the eating disorder part that you're worried about, I will give another heads up for you to get, like skip ahead for a minute. So with that, let's get into it. So what do you know about the Wendigo? Um, I know it comes from a Native American tradition. I'm not sure which group specifically. Yeah. Um, um, what else? I, I know it's related to the, the very common, in many societies, taboo related to cannibalism and, um, you know, stuff of that nature. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so it is... Um, a creature that's mostly related to uh, Native American for folklore First Nation. Different tribes have different uh, exact definitions. The word itself is part of the Algonquian language family. Okay. So a lot of the places, a lot of the tribes that um, are related to that, <laughs> as touched on in the Roanoke episode, the Algonquian language family is super wide-reaching, but it's uh, the area we're talking about today is around the Great Lake and uh, the Labrador regions of Canada and the U.S., uh, where it gets very cold and very dark, and then which are very lonely. Um, and the uh, Wendigo is much more in the, like, northern area, kind of close to the Inuit. Um, Places you would imagine there's more potential for food scarcity, I yes. suppose. Yeah, and it's interesting because, uh, I think I'll get into this, but... Um, there's a little bit more of a taboo on cannibalism that might then would otherwise be seen. But according to the Encyclopedia of Ghosts and Spirits, um, the Algonquian tribe say, says that the Wendigo, quote, roams forests devouring hapless human beings. The Ojibwa consider it to be an ice monster who can possess an individual and cause them to eat their own family members. End quote. Do you mind repeating the name of the the group you mentioned? Uh, The Algonquians and the Ojibwa. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I'm going to be throwing out a lot of tribal names. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Also, apologies in advance. Uh, Usually mispronouncing things can be my thing. Please comment with a gentle correction. I want to learn and update my proper knowledge. (laughs) In our defense, we are not the... Like the English colonists that showed up in Australia and thought the phrase, I don't understand what you're asking me in Aboriginal, was what a kangaroo was called. <laughs> really? 
that may be an apocryphal story, but that's what I've heard, that yeah. it was the natives being like, I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. Yeah. Yeah. So the other interesting thing, uh, the plural of Wendigo is Wendigoak. It's the different language family. Pluralizations are different. Um, and the thing about language families is that, like, it's called a family because there's a lot of overlap, but words are not identical. And therefore, creatures are not identical. Not identical. We'll get into that a little bit more later. Uh, so in, in general, the Wendigo is a spirit that possesses humans. Uh, when it is co- corporeal, it is human-shaped. Um, the size varies. Um, according to some creed legends, it's a regular human size when it's corporeal. But according to other legends, including those of the Eastern Cree, the Montagnie, and the Nakasapi, the Wendigo is uh, gigantic, but much bigger than a human would be. But the depiction of a Wendigo whose head is a skull and has antlers, like a skull elk head type of thing, that's usually for film and video games and Marvel. But in many cases, an individual Wendigo was once a regular human and then one was subsequently possessed by a Wendigo spirit and was transformed into the kind of being that eats other people. Any questions, comments, concerns? About, uh, well, so. I am generally concerned with the prevalence of unnecessary cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, generally, that's a good fear. To Unless you are a South American um, soccer team, sorry, football, stranded in the middle of nowhere in the Andes, uh, I, I denounce cannibalism. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. We'll get into that in a little bit, but one of the hallmarks is that it's an absence of famine cannibalism. Like, it shows up... So, famine cannibalism, or... um, There's another term for it as well. Um, Starvation cannibalism. That's where, in the case of that one team, like, literally they couldn't find anything else that they were certain they could eat. And so, when their friends died, literally the only thing they had that they knew they could eat was their friend. So, that's the sort of, like, what starvation cannibalism is, where it's, like last resort kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but most of the time with wendigo its hallmark is that it's not starvation capital can i keep calling it capitalism but it's cannibalism starvation cannibalism is not present in many cases of wendigo possession or presumed wendigo possession okay yeah uh so circling back to the Language families. So according to Robert Brightman, uh, the word that is now used for cannibalistic monster in Algonquian languages is derived from the Proto-Algonquian word for owl, which is we in wa. For example, the Cree word for ca- uh, cannibal monster is witikau, and in uh, Ojiba is it's uh, wintiko. But with the fox tribe, the word for owl is Witikoa. So that's got the wa and the cuz. And language families, that's, this is a great example. Like with language families in general, it's it's similar but different. Like in Indo-European languages, um, the word for mother is got, all of them have like the ma somewhere. Like in Greek, mm-hmm. it's mater. In English, it's mother. In Spanish, it's madre. It's... There's just like a bunch of muh, 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 muh. So, similar sort of thing. Owls slash cannibals wick with the wet and the mm and the kuh. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. She seems to show up a lot. So, thoughts so far? Well, I can understand uh, the connection with owls just in the sense that they are, you know, potentially terrifying. Yeah. If you're <laughs> not used to seeing yeah. them. Welcome to a paranormal corner of the internet where it's not ghosts, it's owls. It's a common refrain. Counterpoint yeah. to that, if you live in the area where these owls are, you kind of know what they look like, generally speaking. But it's still just an interesting connection. As, as the crazed man in a horror movie, at the beginning of a horror movie, might say, I seen an owl, and that ain't no owl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to get into the uh, European record of the Wendigo. The first recorded case by Europeans in North America, uh, talking about the uh, Wendigo, was uh, from the Jesuits talking to the Montagnier in the 1660s and i'm going to stumble over that a lot because it is a french term and so there's a g and an and an s that google told me you should not be pronounced so i'm gonna stumble over that and again i found this in that uh brightman article called the wendigo in the material world i will leave it in the show notes uh so he was a summer he was summarizing a lot of the jesuit writing uh, so this is the quote that's going to reference uh, restricted eating, specifically anorexia. So skip ahead about 60 seconds or so uh, if you don't want to hear about this. So, quote, the first case, 1634 and 35, involved an anorexic individual suspected by his relatives of cannibalistic designs towards them. The second case, in 1660-61, mentions only rumors that the Jesuits' Montagnier emissaries at Lac Saint-Jean developed a cannibalistic mania and had therefore to be executed. Bishop argues that the concept of transform human wendigoeg, clearly presupposed by Montagnier at this time, uh, was the result of increasing frequencies of starvation cannibalism to which they had been subject. So these were the early demonstrations of the concept that humans who turn into Wendigoig, with some arguments about whether or not it was uh, related to famine or starvation cannibalism. Again, that's the situation where there's nothing else to eat except other people. So there seems to be kind of an understanding that it's more understandable in a starvation situation? Yeah. And as things go on later, it's... It's more connected to sort of a general idea of cannibalism in any circumstance. I think later on there's a bit more of a delineation of not wonderful if it's starvation cannibalism, but it's more understandable if it is. Um, I am um, reminded of, uh, I forget the actual name, but the, the situation that inspired Moby Dick, the whaling ship that got sunk by a whale and there ended up being some cannibalism uh, among the crew that survived in one of the lifeboats and apparently English society was rather understanding when they returned that it was a desperate situation. Yeah. There is one more of the initial stories um, from, and this one's from 1896 um, and it's again from that Brightman article. Uh, it's re- he's referencing a journal kept by one Francis Beaton uh, who wrote about his his encounter with someone named Mappanin from the Woods Cree tribe uh, near Trout Lake in Alberta. Um, apparently, Mappanin showed up at the trading outpost uh, 
Trout Lake Trading Outpost. It said he had a vision that someone was compelling Mappanin to kill any of his family. Beaton uses the term the devil that was compelling Mappanin, but I uh, did not look into whether or not that was a term that this Woods Korean individual would have used. So it, it may be the sort of through the lens of sort yeah. of Christian Europeans. Yeah. So this is Brightman quoting Beaton, possibly Beaton being edited by a priest. So several layers of quotes here. Yes. But, um, so he said that his son, Mappanin did, said that his son appeared to him like a young man and he wanted to eat him. Mappanin wanting to eat, eat the son. Uh, I thought, I thought, Beaton thought, that he was starving, and I was busy getting, busy getting him something to eat, but Mappanin ate very little. I went to see him today. He looks worse than ever. I gave him a dose of castor oil. He says his heart is freezing. He is always saying he's going to be a canna- cannibal. Said he, you must look out for me, for I think I shall kill some of you. He wants them to kill him all the time before he gets worse. Well, that's utterly terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and so... As accounts go on, the sort of concept of heart freezing uh, tends to become more common as sort of a Wendigo disorder. It's commonly called Wendigo psychosis, but I saw one that study that said like technically it's not a psychosis; it's a it's a disorder because terminology is different. Brightman goes on to say that this account parallels Algonquian testimony with respect to rejections of conventional food, spirit possessions, perceptions of freezing internal organs, threats of cannibalism in non-famine contexts, and requests for executions. Uh, when you mention the, the freezing of internal organs, are you referring to the person claiming their own organs are frozen? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because uh, apparently Mappanen said that... Um, He's always, uh, he says his heart is freezing. Ah, Batten okay. said that, said that Mappadin was saying that Mappadin's heart was freezing. Ah, so, and we don't know if that's like a, like a metaphor for not caring mm-hmm. or like feeling like they are cold in their chest? I mean, it could be, um, perhaps both. <laughs> ah, the glory of trying to interpret sources yeah. from Yeah, again, it's like Batten was edited by a priest and... Speak, I don't know what language in which Beaton and Mappanin were communicating, but if it was anything other than English, then yes. there's several layers of translating going on here. Because it could well be that they were talking, that Beaton had learned a little bit of Mappanin's language, and so they were doing some sort of, like, I don't know what the combination would be, <laughs> but if it's, um, is Alberta in French-speaking Canada? Um, I, I, I thought it was in the English speaking part. Either way. Um, so either way. Although depending on the time frame. Oh, wait, what, what time frame are we talking about? 1896. Oh, okay. So this is, well, I, I was thinking for some reason that this was earlier, like before the British conquered what is now Quebec. Okay. Yeah. So if they're speaking some sort of Creelish, like Korean English, type of situation or some mm. combination therein and there's going to be a lot of like translating going on i i remember uh reading about the lewis and clark expedition there was a, a point where they were encountering native tribes that only uh sacajawea i hope i'm saying that right uh only she knew the language of the people they were interacting with so what would happen was 
that person from this tribe they were interacting with would talk to her. She would turn around and translate it into her mother tongue that her husband, who was French, a uh, French colonial, could speak. And then he would turn around and translate that into French to a French-speaking soldier that was part of the expedition who would turn around and translate it into English for <laughs> the other members of the bar- of the expedition. Yeah. So, so you needed, like... Four different people to... The world's worst game of telephone. Yes. <laughs> so... Yeah. And I wonder how much just mythology in general and, like, various stories have just been through this game of telephone. Because yes. even, like, again, Beaton says, oh, Mappadon said that a vision of the devil was urging him to kill and eat his children. But, like... Was he use was he saying the devil or was he saying some Cree word for monster, comma other, right? Spirit, deity, yeah. whatever may yeah. have been. And, yeah. yeah, and like the way they, I don't know how they conceive of like spirits and different sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so various things. Any more thoughts about early European stories before we go on to other stories? Uh, I'm said my piece about the complexity of translation. Yes. All right. So uh, the next part um, is more modern stories. Uh, I'm going to... I'm just briefly touching on Algernon Blackwood, uh, uh, who wrote The Windigo, spelled with an I. Um, Full disclosure, I have not fully read this, um, but in most summaries that I have engaged with all seem to indicate that it is a turn of the 20th century edition of racism. So if you choose to read Algernon Blackwood, take that with the requisite grains of salt. <laughs> are, are you, is there any mention of Teddy Roosevelt in this? Um, not in this script currently. Okay. I just remember that in reading documentaries, they think that there were certain Native American myths that were popularized by people who were interested in the the West, Hmm. the the Wild West, as it was sort of ending. And one of those includes um, Teddy Roosevelt when he goes West, Hmm. Um, you know, eventually becoming president and, you know, the guy who brought us the concept of the teddy bear. Yeah. So. Yeah. Also, just be uh, for... Listeners who think it might be thundering, it is literally just the cups that we're fiddling with. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I While I did agree to be part of this, I did not agree to be pro- fully sober, because we are talking about, you know... Cannibalism. Human beings <laughs> eating each other, and yeah. not in a fun, consensual way. <laughs> so. Oh my god. <sighs> well, you'll have to cut that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, so if you're interested in stories written by white people about indigenous legends, check out Algernon Blackwood. I found another book that was also printed in 1915 by William Briggs, which is entitled Ojibwa Myths and Tales. Um, and it, uh, seems to be that, like, sort of a works progress or type of situation where folks would go around and interview people talking about their legends. And that's where kind of during the the New Deal era in America, they the weren't wor- just employing like random dudes to go build bridges and stuff, although that was very important, obviously. They also would employ scholars yeah. to do their historical or sociological craft. Yeah. Usually you have to check the date with this kind of thing because if you're, if 
certain things are really, really old. So you kind of have to discount them a little bit because, again, sometimes research updates. But so many of the, like, local legends kinds of things are, like, printed in 1915 or 1918 uh, because that was when or in like the 20s or the 30s because again that was during the new deal but um i don't think this was technically part of that but it was i think part of some sort of endeavor similar to that because it's printed in 1915 okay um so this is uh winter giants uh it's number 15 in otropa myths and tales printed by william briggs told by peter york and i quote in olden times people used to believe that if a person fasted for a period of about 10 or 12 days, he would learn something of a, about bears or lions, or something very strong, and if he dreamed of any of these animals, he would be just as strong. One time, a man had a dream that he could fight with the Wintagos at any time. He could be just as big and just as strong, and during one winter time, he knew that the Wintago was coming to eat them, i.e. his family. He said to his wife, The Wintago is coming tonight and is going to eat us, and if my dream fails, we shall be eaten by the Wintago. The night came, and the man went out to meet the wind to go a little way off. The wife listened for a little while. Then she heard trees flying all over as she saw two great big men fighting each other and hitting each other with great big trees and also with their heads. They kept on... <laughs> this it's kept... a major downgrade. <laughs> he hit him with a tree truck. Now my fist. <laughs> <laughs> this kept on for a long time, till all at once it went past, and she watched if her men would come home. After a while, he came out of the woods just as small as he was when he went out to fight. He said, I won the battle for the first time since I had my dream. You come over with me and I will show you where I finished the wintergo. They both went out till they came to the place where they saw as if someone had been underbrushing. So fierce was the battle that all the underbrush and small trees were knocked or trampled down. At the far end of this place, they saw a great big man lying down dead with his big kettle and great big knife for the wintergo was going to kill and eat these people. So the man and his wife went to work and gathered up wood and made a big fire and burned the wood to go to ashes. The end. So what are your thoughts? Um, good job on him winning the fight. Yeah, props um, to that guy. I, I guess he gets like... Congrats, your prize is not getting killed. Yay! <laughs> also, I want to comment on the, the commonality of we have to burn the body. Yes, that seems to happen a lot. And I think this is one of the only stories that I encountered where the Wintigo is both corporeal and results in still staying a, se- uh, staying a separate entity from an individual. Um, because a lot of the... A lot of times it's like... The, phrase, the phrasing is like, the Wendigo, I've been possessed by a Wendigo. I've been possessed so by a So it's sort of a, a spirit or demonic force in some way. In, yeah. Like, it is, it's altered the person in some way, and that is why they... It is an entity distinct from that person. Yes. Okay. Uh, which leads us into what is commonly called Wendigo psychosis. That sounds way too fun for what it is describing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, this is from a paper called uh, The Wendigo Psychosis, Psychodynamic, Cultural, and Social Factors in Aberrant Behavior by Thomas Hay. Is this the article you asked me to glance at because you were concerned about the date? Yeah. Well, so about both this and Brightman because the ones from like 1970 and ones from the mid-60s. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, again, grains of salt. Um, you got to kind of balance the ability of interactions with firsthand people versus the potential greater sort of biases and potential bigotry of the people doing the recording. Yeah. Um, and that goes for myself and Devin along with oh, Thomas yes, Hay <laughs> and uh, Robert Brightman and everyone else we're quoting today. Uh, <laughs> and, all right. So Thomas Hay says, in a definition for Wendigo psychosis, the Wendigo psychosis has long been regarded as a disorder specific to the people of the northern tribes of Algonquian-speaking Indians. This disorder is marked by the desire to eat human flesh, a desire to do something which is ordinarily extremely repugnant and horrifying to these people, but a desire which was gratified by more than half of the individuals whose cases have been reported. To, and so we're talking about like contextual language. Uh, this next paragraph starts with to the Indians. Obviously that is not the term that is we would use commonly used. Um, I try to update that where I can. Uh, also I am reading and sometimes I cannot my brain does not catch up with my eyes, so I will try and catch that, but I do not always. So, to these groups of people, uh, the desire to eat human flesh was incomprehensible, except as the result of sorcery or possession by the mythical Wendigo spirits. Uh, outside observers have generally followed the native groups in, atten in attempting to explain on a psychological or socio-cultural socio basis the origin of the desire to eat human flesh. And he goes on to suggest that cannibalism could be regular, as evidenced by all of the groups and other groups that have ritualized cannibalism. I Referring in a probably vastly oversimplified and inaccurate thing of the act of cannibalism in mm. certain native peoples of the Pacifics. Yeah. Group it all together. Um, the Wendigo Disorder people dying, local belief systems. Um, are you familiar with uh, the story of Swift Runner? Uh, I am not. Okay. So um, this is from uh, um, archive.ph, grain of salt. It's from Weird News, um, but it, it's a good write-up of it. Um, on a cold December day in 1879, a man was hanged by hanged in Fort Saskatchewan, putting an end to one of the most horrifying killing sprees in Alberta history. Swift Runner was executed for murdering and then eating eight members of his own family over the previous winter. He believed that he was possessed by the Wendigo, a terrifying mythological creature who was with a ravenous appetite for human flesh. It was not an isolated case. During the late 1800s and into the 20th century, fear of the Wendigo haunted northern Alberta communities, resulting in several grisly deaths. So the man was a Cree trapper named uh, Swift Runner. Um, it was the first legal execution in Alberta, 1879. But what most people don't realize is that it was part of a much larger phenomenon than that Carlson calls the Wendigo condition. So basically, Swift Runner, um, his it was a really rough winter, and um, or so he said, because. Either way, it's Alberta in the winter. It's snowing. Uh, lots of isolation. Um, 
And so he comes back and said that it was a rough winter. His entire family died. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the only survivor. Um, when folks uh, encountered him in the spring, they saw that um, his food stores were fine. Um, and he and cannibalism probably did not need to be an option, but it was. And uh, Swift Runner kept saying, like, it was the Wendigo, it was the Wendigo, it was the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not me, it's the Wendigo. So sort of uh, the devil made me do it a little bit? Kind of, yes. Before he was hanged, Swift Runner expressed extreme remorse. He told Father Hippolyta Leduc, I'm the least of men and do not merit even being called a man. Interestingly, Swift Runner is, one of, is the only documented case Carlson can find of someone killing others because he thought he was possessed by Wendigo. All other deaths he can document were cases of Wendigo executions, where others have killed the person believed to be possessed. There are acts of self-preservation and attempts to protect their community. In most of the cases, the victims themselves begged to be killed before they harmed their families. Um... In many cases, witnesses reported physical changes, bodies swelling and growing, lips and mouths enlarging. Some of the victims spoke of icy cold in their chests and an inability to warm up. And that was in the um, 1896 diary entry as well, where the guy who's Woods Creek comes in and says his insides are freezing. Because that was what I was yeah. commenting on, the, the saying their heart was cold. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems to be sort of self-reported, like my chest is tight, my heart is cold kind of thing. Like, it seems to be in, like, the chest area, center areas affected. So, that's the Wendigo. Just when you thought Canada, it was safe to go to Canada. It's never safe to go to Canada. (laughs) (laughs) I say that, like, the U.S. is much better. All right, any final thoughts? I apologize for saying this, but at the moment you mentioned someone eating someone, my brain immediately went to... I had a teacher in high school who was telling us about how she was making her child, her young child, watch some show, and it had a song that said, don't bite your friends, don't bite your friends. So this entire podcast, all I've had in my head was, uh, don't eat your family. In conclusion, do not eat your family. That's a great note to leave it on. (laughs) If you'd like to support the show, join us on Patreon. Buy us a coffee. Uh, don't eat your friends, don't bite your family, and save travels home on this dreary midnight. Good night. Good night.